Hello, this is Amy Robinson and welcome to I'm a Fine Thanks, a series of heart-to-hearts delving into all things mental health. Now, before we start, I feel the need to flag that this episode does contain some strong language and may be particularly triggering for those who may have experienced sexual violence. Today's episode, we're speaking to artist, model and activist Erica Leadbeater. I want to thank Erica for having the courage to come and tell her story of her experience with sexual violence and also thank her for the work that she's doing to help support women through counselling, but also empowering survivors through the power of art. This episode was particularly eye-opening for me. Erica gave me an insight into the world of sexual violence with some hard-hitting stats and also discussing the power and importance around language, especially when talking with survivors. I just want to thank this wonderfully brave human again for the work that she's doing, not just to help those who may share similar encounters, but also being so open to bring the awareness on where there needs to be change. Erica Ledbeter, welcome to I'm Fine Thanks. <laughs> Great! Yes. Hi, Erica. Hello. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been very conscious about this episode because obviously the topic is one that can be quite triggering. It's incredibly vulnerable. Not that the topics on I'm Fine Thanks are not vulnerable. That's obviously very much the premises of what this podcast is about. But this one I feel needs to be handled with extra care. So I just want to say before we even dive into it, just how much I appreciate you coming to share something that I know is not an easy conversation to have, but one I also think can help many yeah absolutely yeah thank you for creating a platform to actually even talk about it because it's only when we actually start to talk about it and take off the taboo and make it unsilenced that it'll actually become more normal for the people who actually really do need to talk about it and need to seek extra support so yeah thank you for just creating a platform to actually share share the story thank you so so today we're going to be talking about sexual violence and how this horrendous act has taken place in your life, but also also following the experience, how you've dived into learning about more about this, about fighting, I guess, to bring the awareness of this, but also diving into your own healing journey. And um, not just for yourself, but also because now you also hold the space for other survivors as well, which I think is incredible. So before we dive into all this journey, I guess, from where that happened to now, I wonder if you can set the scene back to 2014, where where this act took place. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2014, when I was studying at university, I was sexually assaulted. When I was walking back from a yoga class in the morning, and um, I was just followed by this complete stranger and he assaulted me, tried to pull off my clothes and luckily my body responded with fight to the fucking death and I fought him off and very stupidly chased after him in the pump of adrenaline, which would never recommend. That's a terrible idea to chase after someone who's just tried to rape you, but that's just what happened. That was my response. And then I went through through court and worked with the police, put him in jail for seven years and 
that's kind of the story in a nutshell but it was like three months before my final degree show and you know three months till I finished my degree and it was just it flipped my world inside out and you know to be assaulted like that in broad daylight by a complete stranger is is really really rare as it turns out but it's just took me on this journey of wanting to understand the world of sexual violence and you know just understand that there's something that I'd been so previously hidden from Mm. until that happened to me so yeah that's that's what happened in 2014 and that's why I do what I do now Mm. so you know it really popped a bubble that I'd been living in but you know that's just that's just the world we live in isn't it quite amazing that your fight and flight response was so active because you think about A lot of people's fight or flight can sometimes send them into freeze. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's really important to talk about because when I share my own story, sometimes I kind of see myself being, you know, presented as a bit of like a hero. And actually the way that I responded was totally beyond my control. The amygdala in the brain is what decides what you're going to do in in a moment of crisis. And turns out mine just wanted to fight for the death because I was so convinced in my mind when he grabbed me. My brain literally said, he's got a knife and he's going to stab you. And so I just thought I was fighting for my life. I didn't really recognise that it was going in the direction it was going until after. But in the moment, I just, I knew he was following me. I'd clocked him a, a road before. I knew that I was being followed. And I was very, very aware of my surroundings and I just happened to respond like that and it was just complete fluke. And I think that's a really important thing when I talk about my stories to acknowledge that because, you know, there might be survivors that are listening to this that will continue to berate themselves and punish themselves for how the body just naturally responded. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you absolutely have no control over. Like, mm-hmm. I happened to be really lucky in that moment in the way that my body responded, but a lot of people don't respond like that and that is not absolutely not your fault if your body shut you down because actually it shut you down and froze you in an effort of protection yeah and it's beyond your control and that's I think quite important to talk about it really is beyond your control and also just because your body reacted that way one time yeah it doesn't always mean that that's the way it's going to react as well. Yeah, especially in the sphere of sexual violence that 90% of survivors have experienced the violence from someone that they know. I've reacted like that to someone I don't know out in public in the street, but that doesn't mean that I'd react like that to a potential lover that turns sour in the bedroom. That's quite a crazy statistic, 90%. Yeah. of the of sexual violences yeah. happens with someone you know yeah and that's like the general statistic but you know all of the statistics that are around sexual violence are of reported stuff and there's so much that people don't report and there's so much that people not only don't report because they don't want to acknowledge it but they might not report it because they might not have even acknowledged it within themselves <laughs> I'm talking about sexual violence as if it's something that happened to me the first time in 2014 but then as I've gone on to do healing work I've really uncovered some memories of early sexual experiences when I was a teenager that were maybe not that consensual didn't even recognize it as sexual violence till I start to really unlayer all of trauma which is you know as anyone who goes on a healing journey you start to do a little bit of the work and then it's just more and more less just keep on coming back and you're like oh shit that's the thing about healing is it's a continuous journey yeah yeah. you just turn a corner and there's another fucking trigger like hello I thought we'd I thought we'd we'd made up no apparently not it's true because actually I was I remember once there was a time where I was on my way to work and on the London tube I got felt up 
But because we it was so busy, I was mortified and my body just went into like a freeze moment. And I didn't know what to do, but because obviously very British, you're like, I don't want to cause a scene in the middle of a tube. So you sit there and you're knowing what's happening and you can't do anything about it. And then I felt repulsed in myself. Mm -hmm. And it really stuck with me for the rest of the day. I remember I got to work and I'd explained to my colleagues at the time what happened. And I know if I had heard someone tell me that story and with the kind of more perception, I would be like, I would have just slapped his face and I would have just gone and said, get off me. And that would be, anyone who knows me would assume that would have been my natural response yeah but when I was in it I did everything that I probably thought I wouldn't have ever done and then you end up feeling culpable because you go why did I let that happen yeah and there's this shame like the shame that you put on yourself that suddenly you go where did I go wrong yeah and it's a horrible thing because you go sorry that was put upon me it wasn't me why do I suddenly now carry the burden of the shame yeah and I think that's what makes sexual violence so unique because of its taboo and because of its deeply rooted victim blaming culture we automatically even blame ourselves I even I found myself really early on describing what I was wearing what time of day it was you know just just really make it really clear that I wasn't inviting that kind of behavior because I felt like I needed to justify those kind of details I needed to make it clear that I wasn't in any way to blame for what had happened to me but even if I was in the bedroom with a partner and then I decided to withdraw my consent if he proceeded to rape me even though I was naked in the bedroom with him I still have the option to remove that consent and it's this how deeply led the taboo and the shame that comes with sexual violence is that it makes us instantly blame ourselves partly because we've been blaming other women for what's been happening to them forever because Mm. that's what we've been taught been taught to blame the victim and I think that's something that's very very unique to sexual violence because any other crime you know if someone said to me oh my house got robbed and I just did an insurance claim you'd be like oh what your house got robbed you wouldn't assume they were lying even if they were lying but with sexual violence you start with if someone says oh my god I got raped last week you would instantly think who was it where were you what time was it what were you doing even someone who's trained as an independent sexual violence advisor I still catch myself having these judgmental thoughts and having to de-pick it because it's so deeply rooted into us Mm. to blame women Mm. that you know it's that's what makes sexual violence so unique is there's no other crime that you'd assume someone was lying if they told you about it well look at the case with Brett Kavanaugh yeah I remember watching I watched Stephen Colbert quite a lot his late night shows the first thing he said at the opening he was like cannot one person even just look into it to see if it may be true and this poor person had to disclose something that was so raw for the whole nation not just America it was global yeah because all the stories that we have of sexual violence within the media when it comes to you know Hollywood stars footballers it's always portrayed in the media that the woman is lying Hmm. always like you know there was the case with the English footballer called Chad Evans a few years ago and the levels that that survivor's life has been destroyed by her disclosing that and trying to go against him when there's CCTV evidence of them carrying her into the hotel that alone makes it rape because anyone who's that fucked that this being carried into a space 
it is not able by law to consent. So that alone was enough evidence. But the fact that she's had to change her name, change her identity, move numerous times, and there's a witch hunt against her because she was apparently lying. The levels that a survivor's life can be destroyed by the violence that they experience, you've got to be really fucked up to try and go through court and go through the police because they are picking you apart at every part Mm. of your story. And although my story, they were very, very keen to help me because they had CCTV evidence and the man who assaulted me was a convicted murderer. So he was already on it. I put him in jail for the third time. He's been in and out another twice since then. So they were already hot on him because he'd tried to assault someone a few days before. So they were very keen to help me because it was in their remit. It was very likely to get a conviction against him. Whereas sexual violence has such a long-standing history of such low conviction that police won't touch it unless you've got evidence from the hospital if you've actually been raped if you've got evidence from the hospital cctv evidence and so this huge body of evidence to make it 100 percent true so what, what you're if saying it's not rape but it's still if it's sexual violence it's really really hard for police to go against it and then you think about the bigger picture of that it's like okay well why did the police not touch it if there's low conviction rates then that makes you think okay so what's going wrong in the courtroom that's making survivors look like they're not telling the truth Hmm. and it's because we have a jury and if general society has the opinion that most women are lying and that we have this you know real victim blaming mentality when you've got a jury in a courtroom and you've got a survivor who's been severely traumatized, the sort of PTSD that comes from sexual violence is so unique that then you've got your perpetrator and you've got their defense lawyer. The defense lawyer knows how to make that survivor crumble on the spot. They will pick them apart from their phone evidence, from history, from messages, from old partners and use their sexual sexuality against them in the court of law. And if you're a survivor stood there saying, this man's raped me, but then they're saying, oh, well, we've got this text from you saying that you do drugs, so you're obviously a loose person you're going to crumble on the spot because that's how your brain is going to work. Your brain's going to shut you down so that you can try to survive this current trauma. And when you've got the jury then seeing this survivor stood there crumbling and they're like, well, I thought her story was quite legit, but look at the state of her. She's obviously lying because they're being picked apart on a pedestal for the whole world to see, they're going to look like they're not telling the truth. And that's the issue with sexual violence is because we have the lowest conviction rate of all time currently for sexual violence, even after Me Too, we have 97% is no further action. It's harrowing. And it's because we have this deeply embedded view of victim blaming. Also, if you see someone in that situation, you know, you've been through it, you go, well, I'm not going to go and put myself there and do that. Yeah, and when you've got all these really famous cases where the woman is being, there's a witch hunt for the woman, who's actually managed to get a successful conviction which we should be applauding because that in itself is a fucking miracle these days then when you see in all these stories of no success and that these women's lives are ruined because they were liars and there was a witch hunt for them why would you be in any way inclined to take that route of justice Hmm. you're just gonna try to move on with your life and you know some people they want to seek justice and they want that caught justice but that's just not a viable option for so many people because they're just not strong enough and actually as an ISFA as an independent sexual violence advisor it's my job to give people the options of what could happen down the courtroom down the therapy route down I guess like alternative justice which is when you try and speak with your perpetrator in jail if you actually get that far knowing what I know through my education rather than my own lived experience I wouldn't actually recommend that most people go to court 
apart from the fact that if you go to court, you probably won't have a successful conviction, but at least it'll be on their record, something along this sphere, so that if it happens again, which it mm. probably will, because perpetrators very rarely act once, and once they know that they can get away with it, they will continue to get away with it. At least it's on their record, so that if they do it to someone else further on down the line, there's a bit more evidence to show that that could be viable. Hmm. but that's the only real reason that I'd actually recommend people to do it really Hmm. unless they're extremely strong and have a really strong support network that you know that they're aware that it's probably going to be no further action not guilty Hmm. and do you feel reflecting back that there's a before incident Erica and after incident Erica Mm, definitely and actually in my notebook I you know I refer to there's part of me that left when that happened to me because my world was shattered into a million pieces I'd never experienced any trauma on that level and actually I have experienced muggings and things like that but this is a whole new level because this is this is so much more invasive than in any other crime I think I am a changed person and that's not necessarily a bad thing either because this work that this direction that it sent me in I know I'm going to help people and that I know that even with anything that I do I think if I just make one survivor feel less alone that's it job done mm. so you know I know that this happened to me and as a reason because I'm, I'm meant to be doing this work I'm mm. meant to be helping people and working to raise awareness in this field so I wouldn't change it but it definitely has changed me and I, and I see pre-assault and post-assault I am a different person from it definitely mm. Wait, I found it interesting when you said earlier on how it kind of popped your bubble yeah and it's almost that that's something I guess people talk about it in grief but I guess there is also grief of self yeah and you know we think it's going to break us but it actually breaks us open yeah absolutely and I've done quite a lot of different types of healing and this one was an in-person shamanic healing and they did a soul retrieval which is where if you experience trauma their belief is that a bit of you leaves your body just before the trauma happens as an act of preservation and with this soul retrieval they're returning that part of the soul to you and you know we kind of discussed in the session it was like have you actually grieved for the part of you that you lost on that day and it was like like goosebumps heart shattering open floods of tears like whoa no I've never thought about that like that the grief of the person that I was before the bubble was popped because it was you know it has changed me and and I'm never that bubble will never return but Mm. I'm and I'm okay with that but that is reality and it is grieving you know the grief of what was lost on that day because it was there's so many levels to how it's affected me that yeah it was definitely a reality pop how how was your reaction because you chose to be very open about it which I think is great and I think that's what hopefully your work will empower more people to do Mm -hmm. but how did your surrounding react to your being open about it I could tell that it was making people uncomfortable you know there's layers of how it makes you feel and how it changes you know your perception of the world that as I was starting to share that kind of stuff I realized that it was making people uncomfortable and and I don't want to do that so then it was kind of when I started to need to seek more professional help and start going to therapy because I realized that this is 
you don't realize quite how taboo it is until you're trying to talk about it and you're like oh no one wants to listen I've cleared so many rooms oh my god I've cleared so many parties but yeah it's it, you know it's so taboo still and it's so dark but there's some we have to find a way to start moving mm. through it I listened to Trana Burke the founder of Me Too who was discussing about how society sometimes also wants to downplay people's experiences yeah and I can't help but think how detrimental that's got to be to survivors because you're not validating their emotions. It doesn't matter what the act is. It's the act of the way the emotion has got trapped in your body that you've got to continue to hold on to for the rest of your life. And I don't necessarily think it's always out of malice to downplay. They're almost trying to make you feel better. Yeah. But actually, I don't. But I think by not validating somebody's emotions, actually, it can be more detrimental to yeah. them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I did have people in my family and friends kind of, you know, try to really calm me by trying to tell me, oh, well, you know, you were so lucky, like you didn't get raped, like, you know, and it's like... <laughs> I'm lucky because I didn't get raped. Like, is that is that the level we're at? Like, unpick that sentence. Like, <laughs> think about that. Like, and you know, like you say, it's it's not coming from malice. It's coming from people wanting to comfort you and to bring you some sort of comfort. But actually, it is really to downplay someone's experience like that. It can be detrimental. And I did just come to realise that I wasn't speaking to the right people, and that's why I needed a professional because. To invalidate someone like that, it's like, I mean, trauma's trauma. What's trauma for me might be heaven for you. What's heaven for you might be trauma for me. It's, it's all relative. And I think or that's what... you were saying, some people don't call it sexual violence, some people do. Exactly, because sometimes mm-hmm. people might not have even recognised their own experiences. And also sometimes people downplay the trauma because they don't want to accept that some of the things that they've experienced are as traumatising as they are. And it's really hard for people to comfort because... We're only just starting to understand, you know, like I've said, how deeply sexual violence affects the body and the brain in such a deeper way, really, like, when the science is only just starting to be done in 2020 to prove quite how deep sexual violence affects a person, you know, there's so much more to be discovered, and that's why partly maybe why people don't validate it as much, because people don't know how deeply, deeply traumatising it is. Hmm. I want to touch on behaviour changes because, as you said, trauma can be so deep-rooted and it manipulates how we experience the world and process things again. Have you noticed it within social situations or emotions being heightened, how your reaction to the world has changed since the trauma? Yeah, I've noticed, uh, well, like, for example, if I'm talking about the Divine Feminine Project and the work that I'm trying to do with survivors, I can instantly, I can pretty much instantly tell if I'm if I'm the person I'm talking to is a, is a survivor. And then I find myself having to try and make it as untriggering as possible. But at mm. the end of the day, I know that just by saying the word sexual violence or domestic abuse, I am triggering them. So it's, you know, having to be super, super sensitive of how I talk about what I do as well so that I don't trigger people or upset people. But then, you know, there's the way that it affects me on a day-to-day basis of no matter how much healing work I've done, which I've done a lot, trust me, um, (laughs) like I still find myself walking around with tension in my body. And this book that I'm reading, Vagina by Naomi Wolf, is blowing my fucking mind open because I started reading it four years ago and it 
triggered a complete mental breakdown. I was totally suicidal, had to go into therapy, was really so deeply upset by what I was reading about. And now I'm in a stronger place, I can read about it. But it's talking about even the uses of slang against the vagina and how that even subconsciously affects a woman's feeling of safety and feeling of creativity and feeling of, you know, happiness if someone uses derogatory slang words about the most precious thing on our body, which is our sexual organs, you know, the fact that we use the word cunt instead of golden lotus, you know, like the fact that the word cunt is the most offensive, grotesque word in the English language shows us everything we need to know about how unprecious we see sexuality and how unprecious we see the woman and her sexual organs, which are the gateway to life. And it's something that's been so oppressed for so long, even in something as subtle as language. I think also even saying the difference of survivors and not victims. Yeah, exactly. Like words can be so powerful. And for me, that's something that I've always held on to the word survivor because my mum even said to me yesterday on the phone, she was like, the day that you got assaulted, you said, I am not going to be a victim. I am not going to be a victim to this. I'm not going to let this define me and I'm not going to be a victim. But it's true because the word victim... It's, it can just have such negative connotations. And for me, if you've moved through sexual violence, the fact that you have survived what you experienced and it didn't, they, they didn't kill you and you didn't kill yourself, you are a survivor. You are a warrior of the utmost strength. Mm. And I think that's something that I'll always promote, that survivor of the victim every day because mm. you survived it. You've, you've, you've moved out of that moment of trauma and you're still here. Mm. You know, your body didn't shut you down and send you into a cardiac arrest in that moment. You survived, like yeah. you overcame it. You don't have to physically fight someone to overcome something. Mm. And that's really important for me with that language. And actually I was corrected with my language about using, um, I was calling it sexual and domestic violence. And someone corrected me saying, you shouldn't say domestic violence because just the word violence with domestic can be triggering for survivors. You should call it domestic abuse. And also the word violence sort of suggests that it's physical and violence can also be in coercive control and verbal abuse. So the word violence, it should, survivors prefer to use the word abuse rather than violence I was like shit (laughs) even I'm getting like I you know we all we all have the capacity to be wrong and you know we should all be able to take it on the chin and change our language because even something as subtle as language is not subtle at all Mm. it's really coded I uh, want to also dive into your healing journey because You've tried so many different modalities, which I think is brilliant. And one which is particularly interesting to me, because to be totally honest, I've never, I've not necessarily always thought about it in the best terms, but hearing it, your experience, I challenged that, that thought process I had, uh, your experience with ayahuasca mm. and the, how it was healing for you. I found the story so interesting. Can you share? Yeah, absolutely. So ayahuasca has been the most healing medicine tool that I've used in my whole journey of it to be honest so the first time I did it was nearly three years ago and I had a bird's eye view and re-witnessed the whole thing so literally watched it from above and it was so traumatizing obviously I was crying it was making me throw up it was just the trauma was moving out of me got to a point where I was like I felt like I was kind of forcing the tears and then I was like wait why do I feel a bit I feel a bit different and I was like 
am I in that moment right now? And I was like, no, I'm not in that moment right now. That's something that's happened, but it's something that's in the past and that I'm not there anymore. And it was like a light switch went off and on. I realized I don't need to hold this tent. Cause for me, I had a lot of really, I'd have a lot of flashbacks every day. I'd think about it. It'd be very violent thoughts running through my body. And it was like the ayahuasca reset the memory and reset and rewired it so that I don't have to feel this tension or this anger. I'm just totally accepting of what happened and I'm not in that moment so I don't need Mm. to feel like I'm in that moment and I don't need to trick my body into thinking I'm in that moment because right here right now I'm safe Mm. I'm safe I'm present I don't need to be scared I don't need to be angry I don't need to be ready to fight and it just totally rewired the memory I think also that's massive because people who go through trauma and especially a level of trauma like your own your body gets stuck in that trauma. Yeah. You're almost sent into such a fight and flight response because there's a study shows that people who suffer with PTSD actually don't have cortisol in their body. And that's because you only get cortisol in your body when you're in this fight or flight for too long, but you know you're no longer in danger. So they go, oh, well, we can release cortisol. People who are in PTSD... They never have that sensation of we're no longer in in danger. So they release no cortisol, but they live in that heightened trauma. So it's stuck in your body and you're living with that. So when I heard your experience, I said, wow, like the being able to reflect that actually I'm safe in my body. That was then I'm here now and disassociate that trauma out of your body. I thought I was thinking, God, that must be so powerful. So powerful because like after the assault, I'd I'd had two different therapists and I really thought that I dealt with it and then I just realised I wasn't dealing with it and I thought, you know what, because I'd never really seen doing plant medicine as like a brave thing. I don't see it being brave healing trauma. I think it's something that like I deserve to do and I need to do to actually thrive rather than survive. And then when I was in in the ceremony and I said, you know, I shared that people had said I was brave for being here. And they were like, you are brave for being here. You're so brave for putting yourself through. You are willing to stand in the mirror and meet your utmost trauma. You're willing to do it because you want to improve and you want to be a better person. It's a brave thing to do. And I was like, I'd never seen it as this brave thing. I just felt like it was something that's really essential for my well-being. Mm. For me, it fuses so many things together that can't be explained by just sitting with a clipboard therapist. It makes you open your mind and use your mind and use memories in new ways that you just couldn't have without that psychedelic medicine to Mm. open you up in that way. But it's not something that I recommend to everybody. Yeah. I think it's something that you've got to really do your research. You've got to really know and trust your shaman with your life because you're going on a, like, you could be cracked wide open. You really need to know that you trust the person who you're doing it with. wide open too early. Yeah. And also, you know, it's it's really deep, powerful work. Like, you've got to be ready for it and you've got to feel called to it. You shouldn't just do it because people have told you about it or... And I don't think you necessarily need a really deep reason for it. I've met one guy I was on the last retreat with was doing it to get his next business venture. So it doesn't always have to be deep emotional journeying or trauma release. But, you know, you have got to really know what you're doing and to respect it. You're offering yourself up to something bigger than you. And and that should be done with respect. Hmm. I um, I listened to that podcast that you were on the other day and something that really stuck with me that knowing that there's no end date to Mm -hmm. healing yeah I think is huge 
because for example with my grief sometimes I keep saying to people they're like oh in time it'll get better and I don't say that to me and I find that triggering because I go does that mean that in a year's time or two years time or five years time I can't go to you because I should have already ended I should already get past my grief Mm -hmm. it's never having an end date and actually knowing that it can come back by not having that end date it helps you navigate but be open for it to come back but also just handling and owning where you are in that moment yeah and just removing the pressure that there's an end date that once you're healed because if if you think about healing as some sort of closed loop that once you've dealt with it you move on but then what if you're triggered by something if you think you've done all the work you needed to do you'd go crazy you'd be like how am I being triggered by this again I've done all the work I need to do because it's just a, a wound a scar tissue can still bleed if it's hitting the right place like and we need to remember that and be kind to ourselves in that process that you know you could have 10 years worth of therapy but you might see something in the street that could make you just run around the corner and cry your eyes out it's this idea that healing is not linear and we're not machines Hmm. we're human beings with a full spectrum of emotion and as soon as the sooner you accept that the softer it is yeah we have to talk about the divine feminine project yes so talk me through this amazing project yes so the divine feminine project is it's all about creating a space that celebrates the feminine through exploring mythology and exploring goddesses but the intention of the work is for me to work with survivors of sexual and domestic abuse and to get them to step into this goddess energy so working with different goddesses from around the world from you know solis which is an english goddess to yemenja which is a yoruban goddess and really getting survivors to see themselves as the goddesses and the warriors that they are so from that concept it would move into a physical space where it would be an immersive exhibition with life-size projected shrines of the goddesses that I've created with the survivors with an audio description and a caption and making it really accessible for people with disability and really super immersive so aromatherapy function one sound system with soundscapes and then workshops within the space so like imagine being in a space surrounded by goddess shrines but it smells like roses and ylang ylang and you're doing a relaxing yoga class like has there ever been a space that fuses art and well-being in such a way that's actually even though the work is about empowering survivors of sexual and domestic abuse it's not about talking about the disclosure of their stories it's about celebrating them as survivors and celebrating their beauty and share that with people in a way that it's free to come it's free to access because for me as an artist I really believe that art is the most healing power of the world and it's the ultimate conveyor of any message but how are you going to get that to people who really need it when art's generally very inaccessible for the people that really need the healing power of it you know we're talking about people with low income like disabled people there's so many people who need the healing power of of arts and they have no access to it and that's Mm. what the divine feminine project is it's about bringing a community space that's really immersive so that it's accessible in the same way because Mm. to go to the tate and look at canvases on a wall It might bring you some joy, but we can do better than that. Like, we've got all the technology in the world. We can definitely do better than that. 
you know, my work, I want to, I want to trigger emotions from people and trigger hopefully joy, because that's what kind of work I want to create, even if it does come from more darker concepts and, you know, more darker place. It's about celebrating survivors and really Mm. just, and also creating a space that shows the variety of survivors, because there's different levels of boundaries and barriers that people come across depending on who they are, where they're from, what colour their skin is, that it's really important to have actual, like, authentic representation and real diversity. Like, I want to make art that people can really see themselves in and really relate to. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it's a little bit about the Divine Feminine Project. So you with them in that process? Yeah, so the work is created by working one-to-one with the survivor, uh, whoever that is. And then, yeah, so then we set up a photography space and then I put a big mirror in front of them so that they can see themselves and so that they're really comfortable in posing and just really see their beauty. And before it was all about, you know, really portraits with them looking at the camera, but all the pictures that I had are so much more beautiful when you see her looking at herself Mm. and the power of your own gaze, because that's something for me and that some of the healing that I've done that we've not really talked about is I do a lot of healing work in the mirror and a lot of like, it sounds a bit fantasy, but like dressing up in lingerie and dancing in the mirror is a really big thing for me to feel good about myself and for me to feel empowered in my sexuality and empowered in my own beauty and my own flaws. And that's something I wanted to share with survivors and really get them to step into their divine sexuality as well as the goddesses and the archetypes, just actually just about their own pure, divine, wild sexuality and how beautiful they are in all this stunning costume in the mirror and it was really emotional for me when I was doing it because I was like this is so much bigger than I ever dreamed of this was a concept that came to me as a as a whisper of inspiration from the divine when I was in India I was traveling in India and you know if you've ever been you'll know that there's shrines to different gods everywhere and it just really inspired me and I was like I want to see shrines to women. I want to see shrines to survivors because actually they're the warriors that we should be celebrating that have overcome the harrowing reality of sexual violence and they're still out and about living their lives, doing the day-to-day despite this trauma that they're living with and that's probably stored in their body if they've not done anything to help unlock it. To go from it being a self-portrait miniature shrine project that I was making in my sister's bedroom to what I've developed it into. And even though I've not created the physical space for the exhibition yet, it's happening. It's just about getting the right funding. So I'm working on that. Because I've only worked with one model so far, but just the reaction that she had when she looked at herself, she was just like so elated and so just oh it was beautiful and I was like I didn't even know this is why I wanted to do this but the fact that I've created this space that's allowed you to feel this way about yourself I hope that that carries on into into her life after and that's what I want to do I want to help survivors to see their beauty and their power regardless of what's happened to them and in fact if anything what's happened to them has made them even stronger like you know they're even more powerful because Mm -hmm. they've overcome that And I want to celebrate their beauty and celebrate the power of the feminine. It's amazing. Hearing you talk even about it is is inspiring to listen to. And, you. you know, it really does show how this experience that is something that has obviously been very traumatic, but really cracked you open. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I've always been interested in immersive artwork and 
immersive sculpture and installation but this is just taking it so many steps further and I just really want to help people and I really want to be given the right tools the right funding so that I can do it properly and that's that's why I did the independent sexual violence advisor diploma which that in itself has been really I've had to move mountains to get me through the coursework it's been was so triggering you know we spoke um, before how you know I found some notes that said that it was 2014 because I was being that triggered in the training that I'd lost six years of my life and was back in a place of pure trauma and you know I've had to really put myself through the works I have to really find the balance between what's me giving too much of myself to the point where it's damaging I have to really seek the balance between doing the work doing the work for myself and my own work and helping other people and trying to find the intersection of doing that as a young independent woman living in London with no funding that's a really interesting thing yeah, to do yeah. I'll look back maybe in 15 years time I'll look back at this time and laugh and be like wow I was really putting myself out there wasn't yeah. I like <laughs> so I want to jump into a lightning round yeah what has been your biggest healer yeah ayahuasca easily I, I just know the answer to that so quickly <laughs> ayahuasca every time definitely what accomplishments are you proudest of Mm, I think maybe <laughs> artistic I've got a few different achievements artistic or like deep emotional ones like I did a really cool sculpture that's a giant pair of tits that's a disco ball that lives in LA <laughs> <laughs> so like it's really, yeah yeah so I did this uh, sculpture that's a it's actually a sculpture of Emily Ratajkowski's breasts because we all know she's got beautiful breasts it's okay to say it and so yeah it was a meter wide disco ball of uh, Emily Rastakowski's tits and it's actually used as a disco ball so it's spinning around in a club somewhere in LA so that's a really good achievement awesome I love that, <laughs> I love that. and what is the best advice you've ever been given I think it probably is that healing's not linear because that just makes me so much more of understanding of my own journey of healing and my own understanding and acceptance for when I've been re-triggered by something and if I'm in a bad place with anything I, I just have to remind myself that healing's not linear and you know to not overwhelm yourself with trying to try loads of different things after I did ayahuasca last year it absolutely shot me into this oh my god I've got so much shit that I need to heal and sent me on a bit of a healing whirlwind and I actually really over bombarded my body with loads of different things so like I had a massage with Reiki which triggered like a hundred spots breaking out in my face in the same day and anxiety attacks from that point on so I'm like but I was meant, meant to feel good from it I'm meant to feel good and now I just can't sleep because I feel like I'm on the edge of a cliff and I'm like yeah you know don't overwhelm yourself with energetic healing and take energetic healing seriously don't try and do too much at once because our bodies are incredibly delicate little light receptors of energy and what we do and what we let other healers do is really important so just if you want to go down more alternative routes like energetic healing take them seriously and mm. don't overwhelm yourself interesting wow and um well actually this falls straight neatly into the next question what advice do you have for someone who's on their healing journey yeah go slow and if 
something that seems a little bit alternative sounds interesting to you just do some research and speak to people who really know about it don't just jump straight into the first google search that you find and when it comes to plant medicine only go through a recommendation of someone that you know I don't feel like you need to fly off to the other side of the world to do it you have to really trust your intuition and trust your gut feeling and if it feels like something that you want to try just but move slowly, move slowly with healing because I jump into things like a bull in a china shop sometimes and that's been quite detrimental in some ways. So I think just be soft and just be really kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Be really kind for everything that you go through. And what rituals do you hold for your day-to-day for your own mental health? So um, I do I do really like to engage in yoga and meditation and uh, like goddess cards and moon ceremonies but I've recently taken on board something that's a little bit more fun which is because now obviously the weather's getting a bit colder and it's a bit it can get quite grim outside if the sun is shining I like to go to the gym and then I like to have my post-workout cacao shake by the river dancing and it's great because I've found this little spot that looks over Canary Wharf and no one can see me. Only the odd person walks past. It's not like a very public walkway. So I just put my tunes on and just absolutely dance my tits off for I like 30 that. minutes. And it's really funny because if anyone does walk past, there are, you just, you're lightening up their day. If you see someone really dancing in the street, it makes you feel good and you're like, fair play. And I just, I'm so jacked up of of adrenaline from the gym still that I just do not care. And I'm just having a one woman Vogue off in the street. And that's a little ritual that I've had for the last few weeks that's really keeping me in a good place because there's nothing better than dancing in the sunshine. Oh, Erica, thank you so much so much for coming and sharing a story that I know is not an easy one to share. The work that she is doing to heal herself and along the process to heal others is just admirable. For anyone who may want to get involved in the Divine Feminine Project, I've placed in the description notes to this podcast links to their website and social handles where you can contact Erica directly as she would love to work with you. I've also placed the crowdfunding website on the description notes for those who may wish to donate to this fantastic cause, helping empower women and help them see them for the true warriors they are and not just for the exhibition, but to help them take that with them into their lives. I hope you enjoyed this powerful episode as much as I did, and thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time.